in May this year, I was invited to a little festival near Coonabarra brand called Dandry Deconstruction. And because I have a little bit of a soft spot for outer western New South Wales, I decided to go along and I discovered a very intimate little festival um, with mostly young people from near Wollongong, connected to the Wollongong doof scene. So yeah, it was a great little weekend, lots of uh, good conversations and meeting new people and uh, nighttime, nighttime fires. So yeah, my talk went well. My friend recorded it and the recording did not go well. However, I recorded a backup version on my iPhone, which this recording is the one from my iPhone. Unfortunately, I hit the iPhone several times and the iPhone didn't pick up the questions from the audience that well. So I've had to boost the volume and do a lot of editing, but overall it sounds okay. And uh, I think there's a fair few decent observations and insights that I think a lot of you will find useful. I'm thinking about calling the etheric parasites EPs, not ETs, not to APs, but EPs. What do you all think? Make sure to like and subscribe and let me know what you think in the comments. And I hope you enjoy this talk. All right. Yeah. So cactus walks. Uh, the idea with the cactus walk is that maybe 10, 15 people take not too strong of a dose of cactus. Uh I was introduced to the idea in South Africa and there's a group near Johannesburg. They take cactus every weekend, every Sunday. And when I did it with them um, in 212, the dose was barely perceptible. It would just give you energy. It wasn't that strong. You know, it's very difficult to take really strong psychedelics and organize a bushwalk with at least a dozen people. <laughs> it is not easy thing to do. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's hard. So you want a dose that does something, but not a dose whereby someone, you know, starts headbutting a tree like Homer Simpson or, you know, just starts, you know, crying and carrying on. You can't get them moving again. So generally I've been using about 25, 35 grams of dried cactus powder. Um, initially I was using 15 to 25 and the, fifth, the, the, the 25 to 35 is a lot more difficult to navigate everyone in that space. Um, and the idea is with the cactus walk is you're really – you're emphasizing the intersocial healing that happens, but you have all the elements for a beautiful day. You have uh, amazing plant medicine or 
or uh, succulent medicine, whatever you want to call it. And you have nature and you have other people and hopefully you have decent weather. And so you have all the recipes for a brilliant day. And when I do this, I think that you sort of think to yourself, I bet most people are not having a this good of a Sunday as we're having right now. And because also the people who choose to do this, it's a huge filter. Not that many people think it's a great idea to get together with a bunch of strangers and take um, psychoactive medicine in nature and walking together. So the people who get it, they get, they get it. So it kind of filters out a lot of the people who you might not want to be there. So I think that when people arrive in the morning, there's a strong sense in the people who were there of um, what I'm what I'm often feeling is their self worth, low self worth is coming up. And I really feel this in terms of how they project that onto other people. And there's a kind of collective feeling of low self-worth. And there's also a feeling of claustrophobia, perhaps, that people might have in that space. And all this, all this shifts, all this shifts. And I think people are used to... Uh, connecting with people in a space, maybe in work or whatever, where they're having to deal with, you know, drones or drongos. But when you're filtering out the drones or drongos, you're only left with the people who are really on the level, who are really wanting to move with this, take it somewhere. And so what you find is you have a very strong feeling of group cohesion forms, almost like a tribal feeling. You become like a bit of a tribe walking together and there's a sense of um, cohesion that forms and understanding that forms. So there's something very primordial about that uh, space and something very healing about that space. And in that space, you can begin to look at your own issues with other people, especially if you have a felt sense that with these people, your new tribe, right? So your old tribe, whoever they are, are not there anymore. And if this tribe was all your friends, it would be good too. But there is definitely um, a space where you have more of a blank canvas, you know, to to create yourself in a space where you don't really know the other people and they don't know you that well. Whereas people that you've known for a long time, you know, they know you well and you have a shared history with them, you know, good and bad. So that can be that can be powerful and beneficial well but as well. But there's definitely something powerful about doing this with strangers and finding a sense of safety and comfort in being in this enhanced awareness with a bunch of people you don't know very well and getting to know them and just looking at your own 
mechanisms of relationship and who you think you are and how you are uh, being with them in this enhanced space. So I found that this recipe is very, very powerful, very beautiful um, space. And the result is a, a, a beautiful day, you know, a beautiful day, lots of laughter. There's a sense of connecting with nature. And then there's the medicine work that the cactus is is doing on the person as well, on the individual and the group. So there's like this, there's this atmosphere that's created. There's this, there's this sense of realizing oneself in relationship to others. And that sense of self-worth, low self-worth dissipates and goes away. Uh, and there's a sense of often, if you're bushwalking, there's a sense of helping each other navigate the terrain. Some people might need a hand, you know, someone might leave their bag behind. Then there's always a sense of navigating this terrain together. Or there might be a conversation that you have where you can help someone or help someone to realize something or something happens and you make a joke and it's funny, right? And this is all really simple stuff that I think that you're not going to get hanging out in your room, um, you know, with the Netflix and social media scrolling by, you know. And I think that especially in this, uh, this COVID times, people are beginning to realise, if anything, that there's a real need for the mo- one of the most essential nutrients that we have as human beings, which is a sense of belonging and connection to others. And actually, when you inquire and you look deeply into that, there's actually uh, biopsychosocial energies involved in being around other people. There's actually... Uh, ways that we communicate with with others that that occur within the etheric dimension, and I think that's something that I would hope our society realizes in a collective sense in the coming decades. You know that there that there are these to most people invisible uh, invisible cords of connection that we actually relate to each other through a kind of energy that we transmit to each other and that we can actually, that true relationship is um, being aware of uh, the, the, the soul, you know, because it is through the soul that these energetic connections happen, that this relationship happens. I think we have... Are like limited ideas about what this is in the English language. We have, you know, one word for love, right? And in Arabic, they have a dozen or more other cultures that have more. But even that's not really, you know, that's not really explaining or understanding the mystery of how we touch and affect each other by relating, by talking, by being, you know. And that can, it can also be negative, the way that we uh, communicate 
and relate and be with each other can be very negative as well. And a lot of people are holding a lot of trauma from how other people have affected them. But I think possibly one of the most significant things to really understand is that I don't ultimately think that a lot of trauma is being caused from is being caused by one human being to another human being that the human beings are not necessarily doing this to one another and that I think when we begin to understand that we can kind of begin to forgive people and understand that it's not really necessarily other people who would, who are creating this trauma. Yep. Do you mean the sense of like sometimes mm-hmm. um, people's reaction even to somebody is um, a, a trauma response, and it's and and and, and you're taking away it's it's like it's not like they're intentionally going out of their way to hurt you. Is it the fact that they are in the state that they're in that response has made them react and to not take it personally? No, what I'm talking about is etheric parasites. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking about uh, the primary enemy of humanity, mm-hmm. which are these etheric parasites which are creating trauma, especially in people's childhoods. Mm-hmm. They're actually targeting specific individuals very often. And um, a lot of us can un- sympathize and understand, mm-hmm. say, a parental figure who might be normal a lot of the time, but when they drink some alcohol or at other times, they will act in such a way which is completely insane and cause us a lot of trauma and distress. And, you know, I think what I see and experience is the extent of childhood sexual abuse mm. in this country and all countries is, is huge, you know, and that causes huge, you know, that really, you know, when the, when the parental figure especially for the parental figure, though it can be family members or whatever, it really does, uh, you know, affect that life form's relationship to their body and other human beings in a fundamental way when this kind of, like, uh, trust is broken and when there is a kind of a... when there is that form of abuse and, you know, um, that that kind of exploitation mm. and but it's also a lot of violence as well and there's so much uh, violence and there's so much emphasis on domestic violence as well in people's childhood and I think going back to what I was saying I think it's important to see that it's not that other people are let entirely off the hook. But as I understand it, a lot of this sexual abuse, a lot of this violence is being caused by these parasitic entities who are motivating and, and inspiring it. And I think you can really see this in indigenous populations all around the world where there is, um, especially with 
how alcohol influences them so profoundly. And it, it really does uh, allow the, the, the monster to cause havoc. You know, I know several people working in child protection in Indigenous communities. And it's very traumatising for them what they experience mm-hmm. as well. So I think, I think it's important to, to gain some perspective and understand that a lot of the trauma that's being created and the interference that we're experiencing doesn't arise from the human mind. It arises from a kind of mental illness, you know. Mental illness itself, I think in many respects, can be defined as the interference of these parasitic entities. Mm. And there are cultures who understand this, such as in Brazil, the spiritist uh, religion, there are dozens of spiritist mental institutions in Brazil. And before you are admitted into the hospital, the doctors and nurses, the psychiatrists and nurses will perform a dispossession ritual before you're even allowed in the mental hospital proper because they understand you first got to clear the entities involved and then you can actually treat the person who is, is mentally ill. So they see the cause of mentally ill. In Brazil, no one does not believe in spirits or entities or everyone is on that page because they have a very strong religious um, influence and also they have the indigenous influence as well and they have the African influence. And all those cultures believe in spirits. So in Brazil they have the... um, the, uh, some of the ayahuasca uh, churches, they're called Umbada, I think it's Umbada, and they will channel in these spirits. That's part of their, that's part of their uh, ayahuasca practice. See, then you've got other ayahuasca churches that they, they do their own more kind of new agey sort of channeling. Whereas in the heathen West, where there's a much more industrial, hardline, um, assumption that we have somehow progressed and evolved beyond this sort of mythic or animistic understanding where spirits exist into this kind of void where no spirits exist, right? It's kind of a, um, it's kind of a, an illusion that somehow we are more advanced because we don't believe in the traditional ways of every culture on the planet. You know, I think you would be hard pressed to find any traditional culture that does not believe in these spirits because I I think to discount and say all those people are simply tripping or hallucinating or making it up is extraordinarily arrogant, extraordinarily arrogant. And then we have people in the Western, um, in, in the West, such as myself, who are taking psychedelics and we're, we're seeing spirits, you know, we're opening up our eyes and we're seeing good spirits and we're seeing bad spirits. And if you look up the definition of what shamanism is, 
shamanism is defined as um, the the practice of relating with the good spirits and the bad spirits. If there's no good spirits or bad spirits, there really can't be shamanism because there's nothing there. There's just not. It's just nihilism, and that is the the not that kind of nihilism, that technocratic uh, vacuousness, is it leads to nowhere good because there's no values in it, there's no sentience in it, there's no soul. It's a kind of a secular going nowhere fast world. There's no there's no sense of value or juice or meaning. And in a sense, you could say the whole secular, spiritless, soulless worldview is a, is a kind of a satanic plot. Yeah. And that, you know, academia is driven by it, that, uh, you know, our, our industry or our institutions are themselves, uh, in a sense, wanting to maintain a worldview where we don't see the reality of the world and the inner world and the enemy of humanity because the entity of humanity, the parasite itself, has woven itself through every aspect of society and it's very difficult to navigate our society without coming into contact with, I suppose, um, these forces which will drain our power, drain our energy and compromise our life force. So I think it's a very interesting time we're living in because more and more people are taking psychedelics in the Western framework and they're beginning to see and understand the spirit world, the good and the bad spirits. And then what, we're, we're, what is especially interesting is how Western society is beginning to adopt en masse psychedelics. And I think many people have good reason to be very critical of what would you call it, the corporadelic psychedelic space, the space in which psychedelics almost captured and co-opted in a manner whereby they're not really utilised for the sake of liberating humanity from its primary enemy or liberating humanity into a way of life which really makes sense and is really worthwhile, truly worthwhile, it's kind of perhaps more attached to the corporatization and industry. And I think a lot of people might call this the medicalization of psychedelics. It's on insight tomorrow night. That's right. Yeah. So I'm going to be on that TV program. You're going to see me there representing the underground. Um, and as best I could, I tried to communicate in a way that people might understand about the issues of psychedelics entering into the medicalization, the space of medicalization. And I'd say this is the primary issue 
if people are going to take psychedelics that open opens up the doorways to the spirits, the good and the bad, if the people who are doing this work and are providing the psychedelics don't understand the etheric parasites, the enemy of humanity, this could be, this could create a lot of carnage, a lot of difficulty. And I think a lot of people might have this, I don't know, innate sort of feeling like, I remember when I was getting into ayahuasca and sharing with people's people would say, no, I only want to do that with the shaman and they do it the proper way. And, you know, they kind of got that, that fear. And I think that now I think a lot of people realize or when they drink with the shaman in the Amazon, they're not, they're not, they're not, um, all that they're being cracked up to be in popular mythology as kind of like super soccer hero saviors who can uh, protect you from where the wild things are. So often, you know, they very much might put a spell on your girlfriend and she'll fall in love with you and take all your money and, you know, it's just a, it's just a disaster. And there's a little bit of a reason why it is a disaster because in the Amazon, in the literal jungle, a lot of how they are using their ayahuasca is in the framework of what we would understand as dark sorcery. And it's pretty much um, a framework where there is uh, a lot of uh, psychic attack there's a lot of like uh, uh, battling going on, and I met people who have have difficulty reconciling how these healers can perform incredible healing, but then they might get paid some money, and they will they can create a lot of harm as well. And so I think there's been a kind of a disillusionment with, say, the Amazonian model. Um, but at least there is an understanding within those many frameworks because it's not that there's one tribe, it's, there's many different curandero shamans, whatever you want to call them. And a lot of them have figured out their own way of going about this. So there's not just one way, but within the, the framework of medicalization, there's not a sense of anyone within that framework that I've come across who's really even tipping their hat towards an indigenous paradigm that recognises that there be dragons. So then what we can expect is dragons. We can expect the dragons coming in and just co-op the work. And that is... A kind of a sabotage of the work. So now what we're facing is a kind of a battle against the dragons who want to sabotage the work. So a bit like my message right now is, for one, I think a lot of people got to open their eyes to the dragons existing in the first place. <laughs> and then we've got to, we've got to actually navigate this in a way whereby 
I think that that these medicines can help us to eradicate the dragons and get rid of the enemy of humanity. And that is why I think on a kind of instinctual level, these laws are so strong in many parts of the world. And I don't think the laws are such because um, there's a... uh, oh, that people will hallucinate and go crazy and the psychotropics are bad, there's a sense uh, that the dragons uh, who are pulling the levers behind the rulers of the government of the day don't want people to see their existence. And when you take psychedelics, I think you can really begin to see the dragons and you can, you can begin to, to understand what it is to tackle them. And that is, I would say, a big part of what shamanism is in its most essential sense. And that, and, and that which also does involve the interaction with the spirits who uh, actually want to help and heal humanity and um, allowing them to come in and weave and create the abundance of spirit and soul that they can and that they can enable. And I think uh, as human beings, we've kind, as Western industrialised human beings, we've lost art of this dance of connecting with all these spirits. Whereas in a culture like Bali, for example, you know, they're spending all their time making offerings and they, they understand all these gods and goddess and these spirits and they have an awareness of the unseen world. And that's really important for a uh, functioning, healthy civilization that we have the richness of these spirits and we live in such a way where we can deal with the bad spirits, where we at least have some technology or technique or a ceremonial practice whereby we can um, make sure that we're not always being attacked by the bad spirits. So are you suggesting with like the alcohol consumption and just the substances of that vibratory nature that they actually like disarm the vehicle in a way? And other yeah, that's why they call alcohol spirits because you you need to get fairly drunk it's not just like one drink that'll do it for you but you get fairly drink and your innate defenses against because everyone has some innate defenses against these entities will be um discarded and you will you will then be open to their influence and you'll become very often you can become possessed by them in that space Mm. and you can get it with you know high doses of lsd as well, um, any anything that then that's that's that I think that's why there's a lot of caution in relationship to these substances because um, yeah they will they will open you up to to you know to everything that's there and so you can easily get easily get possessed and taken over. And the door, doors can come up and you can become possessed.
So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's quite. It's quite intriguing. Um, an observation that I made when when reading the um the Bible was that uh even in uh, a lot throughout the Bible it would it would talk about sickness and when people would be ill or sickness mm. or have um say uh what's it called um leprosy or like um usually a lot of mental illness or were deranged it would it would describe them as being um like possessed by a spirit mm, mm. A spirit of sickness or, or, or a spirit of anger or a spirit of um a particular emotion mm. so I, I, I find it quite interesting the correlation and with the, the way that you view um kind of like the the negative energy and influence as almost like a spirit because it um it is a literal spirit. Yeah, it's a literal spirit. It's a literal monster. Yeah. And I think um, I think uh, what we're experiencing is a society that is uh, irrationally opposed to seeing this um, because it's... Um, it's difficult to see, but I think that that when you do see it, everything makes sense, you know. And it's like it's not like having your head in the sand mm. and not seeing it. It, it. it doesn't help. But when you do see it, it puts everything in perspective and you understand why things are the way they are. Mm. And then you can be then you you can accept where you are. A lot of people they don't even want to see the incompetency and malevolency of the people around them. You know, they're so indoctrinated within their herd, their instincts, that they, they simply defer to authority, whoever it is. They don't actually think about, they don't, they just, they just believe what's, what's told to them, what the, the surface level on the packet. They don't think about what's inside the packet or even look inside themselves. You know, so there's no distinguish, no distinguishable discernment, the ability to have that discernment that a lot of people have, you know. So they're kind of like, they're blind, you know. And I think these entities, they inoculate, they inoculate people into seeing them. They, they're, they're, one of their defences is ino- literally inoculating people with the, um, some, some sort of fluid that will prevent people from seeing them, you know. Their primary defence is that we don't see them, you know. But the interesting thing is that when you begin to see them, it's not that difficult to see them mm. it's not that difficult to see them and you can see them everywhere so it's a little bit like the the great documentary they live i uh, know some of you seen this film that is such a good film their main defense is that we can't see them and i think that even with psychedelics a lot of people are not going to see them i know people who are deeply in to psychedelics who are not um, 
who don't see any entities at all. And the issue is, uh, like in the, the documentary movie They Live, when you get the glasses and you can see them, they see that you're seeing them. And then you have to deal with that reality that they see that you're seeing them and that makes things harder. But I think where I've come to is it makes things easier for you in the end. Maybe not right away because how can you live always being on the back foot, being subjugated by these entities? It's very hard to do anything in this world when you are being drained by them all the time. And before I had a really good awareness of these entities, there were many times when I was at a significant point in my life and I remember driving a car and almost collapsing because I knew something was going on, but I didn't know I was being attacked or I would, everything would go wrong in my life and I didn't know why. Things would just go pear-shaped. Again, it's like you're being attacked or other people around you were being possessed and attacked and your life would go pear-shaped because they would be creating chaos in your life. So there's so many examples of just being in relationship with someone, you know, and there's, there's many different ways whereby you can be affected by uh, these entities finding weakness in your uh, structure and then finding ways to access you. But when you become aware of them, you can actually strengthen your boundaries and not be drained and not be attacked and not, uh, you know, continually your vibration brought down by them. You can actually begin to sort of raise your vibration and... And then as you do that, they will come for you as well. But then you've got to push, you've got to push past that and uh, defeat them. You've got to defeat them. And, and then uh, even though they are quite big and scary at times, it's not that hard to kill these entities. Uh, I use a technique called torping, which I think works very well and I don't know of another technique that kills them as easily and they just die and it doesn't matter how big they are whether they're as big as a house or how powerful they are they will die and and then yeah they might have friends and you've got to kill them as well but after a while there's a kind of peace and I found in my own life that I, I suppose I've been doing this quite intensively about six years and, um, you know, less intensively 10 years. And I think that in a way they kind of leave you alone after a while. They kind of leave you alone um, uh, if, if, you, if, you're, um, if, if they know that it's not worth uh, going after you. You know, if you're really on the front foot, then they won't come after you and they won't, they won't trouble you as much. So I, I think ultimately that as a species, um, you know, people in traditional cultures 
have had a way of dealing with these entities in ways that we may not understand, such as um, sacrificing animals. So that what they might do is sacrifice the animal, um, the soul of the animal to, to be fed to the spirit. And that's, that's institutionalized in many different cultures in Africa, in Asia, in the Middle East, they do that. And they do that, they say, to protect their children because their children have no defenses against these entities. So, um, and that's part of the culture. The entities know they're going to get fed because they need to feed on something. And the people know that they're not going to get screwed with. So what we have in the Western culture is no awareness of this sort of stuff. And so we're really, you know, we're food, you know, we're, we're, uh, you know, and I think that's why we live in this desiccated, vacuous, empty culture because everyone's being drained all the time. Everyone's a fucking battery. Everyone's getting plugged in and then to have their life force sapped out of them. We live in this culture of these, this, these fucking drained people who haven't got anything in them. They don't have any juice. It's all being taken from them. It's crazy how little people have passion. That's right. That's right. And you see this in all these rich Western cultures are all the same. You know, you go to cultures like Norway and, you know, Switzerland and Sweden, all these desperately unhappy people with just like nothing going on inside them. These 2D cutout people, you know. And, 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 and that's, that's, that's the result of the culture that the, the Western uh, culture has been disconnected from its pagan tribal roots, you know. 2,000 years ago, all the European people were living in tribes connected to the earth, praying to their various spirit, the, the, the spirits and having an earthy connection, and they would know how to deal with these entities, you know. They would have their shamans who would know how to deal with it. This is the predicament we're in where this Western culture is being imposed on everyone and people are giving up the old ways and they're becoming, everyone's becoming increasingly food. And our, our main defense in many respects is, is, you know, taking psychedelics, becoming aware of the situation and, 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 and taking up the battle within, within our own abilities and beginning to awaken people to the truth. And not and not bow to their to their condescension and their uh, you know absolute willingness to to for for to try and make you look foolish, but actually they are the foolish ones and they are the ones who are out of step with reality. They are the ones who are out of contact with reality and in fact are the mad ones because mental illness is essentially being out of contact with reality. And if you're not seeing what's in front of you and what's around you and how you're being influenced, you're out of contact with reality, you're out of relationship with reality, and, you know, you're not that much used to anyone. So it'd be like the mass psychosis, that, that term mass psychosis you hear floating about. Mass formation psychosis. Mass formation psychosis. And I think, I think that's it, you know, I, I think I do want to segue a little bit into this whole COVID story because 
I think it's quite interesting collectively there was this there definitely was a kind of trancey feeling that we all kind of felt and then in the last uh, few months just kind of dissipated just gone away even though the thing is still there it's still doing what it's doing and then you've got all these people who were still carrying on about things that don't make any sense You've still got these people, these bigots and uh, people who are proposing these illogical situations. You know, you've got whole governments, um, you know, who are proposing rules and regulations that are nonsensical. And finally, some of, a lot of them, and, you know, many of them are just kind of unwinding all that. Oh, and they're not really, sorry, <laughs> you know, well, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's extraordinary. Because during this time, I think a lot of people have seen that there is within the Western government, right, um, a level of coercion and control and domination that's occurring through the corporate industrial sphere. Mm. And I think a lot of us forget the Western framework is very much embedded within revolution. You know, United States, revolution, it's freedom, right? It's freedom. It's like stand up to the tyranny and overthrow them, and we're going to we're going to stand up against that, and we're going to create a new world, you know. And it's actually a very hard thing to do to create a new world without because the tyranny is not the British, it's not the it's not the Russian aristocracy, it's not. Um, you know, it's not it's not the leaders, it's not the people in control, it's the parasites who who represent the tyranny. And you need to cut their heads off. You need to cut their heads off the dragon. You cut the heads off the people, then just new people will come along who who'll represent the dragon, you know? So I think um a lot of people forget that Western society was highly, highly influenced by the French Revolution in the 18th century. The French Revolution was a watershed moment for uh, human beings realising or wanting liberation from the tyranny. And it represented cutting, you know, cutting off the heads of the royalty and the uh, aristocracy. But you have the same effect in cultures like Russia as well. Russia as well. China as well. All the big players, they all did this. None of it worked. It, you know, you just get this. They just, the, you know, the whole thing is co-opted. And, and, and you, have the, you have the aristocracy and the upper classes who were killed, those who represent the tyranny, those who are like... Um, how would you say they are the ones who are enforcing the dragon? They're the ones who are 
they, they are the ones who, 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 who are the puppets who are controlling everyone. The control is coming through them because they have the control, right? But then, you know, say in somewhere like China, you know, decades later, it just comes through the CCCP, you know? It's not obviously the way to create a, a fair and equal society is not by um, chopping the heads off the upper classes, right? But if you look back through history, it's a little, it gives you a little bit of hope, at least. Human beings have fucking done that and, and they wanted to grab freedom. They wanted to create a better society. It never turned out, you know? The weed grows back. Yeah. Could you say that in the 60s we were attempting to chop the head off our egos in the country? That's, yeah, I think that's another thing. It's not, you know, you can say, yeah, chop, that's what John Lennon talked about, you know, chopping the head off the ego. You can't destroy your ego, you know, it's not really going to work. It's always going to come back. And, you know, it's it's like, yeah, it's, it's an old, you know, rainbow hippie thing, you know, if you can get rid of the mind or the ego, which are kind of synonymous, you're going to be, you know, light love is going to be flowing all around. <laughs> it doesn't really work like that. I think, I think, you know, the challenge for humanity is how do we, you know, how do we be with each other and live with each other in a way that really works? You know, how do, how do we, how do we manifest a way of life that we want to live and I think ultimately we can only do this by having awareness of the forces that would suppress and oppress us. And, and, and by having an awareness of those forces, then we can create a kind of a bubble kind of sphere where, where, we, where we are actually uh, awakening into our most essential power and our most essential faculties and abilities to become soulful human beings who are, um, you know, flowing with the spiritual information and connectivity and actually living in such a way whereby we're happy and we're growing and we're evolving and we're seeing, we're seeing who we are as individuals. We're seeing our uniqueness and we're being our unique self and we're growing in, re- in relationship in the complexity of the interpersonal space, where, which is like, um, which is enabling uh, an awareness of our growth and maturity in how we should act and be in the world. So I supp- that's what we're really missing. Um, that's what we're really missing in this society is that people are not really able to often find a place where they're able to grow and mature as human beings because that fabric or network of, of culture is not there. We don't have an intentionality to provide and, you know, really enable that sharing of energy to each other. We're not we're not um, ultimately plugged in to spiritual realities in the same way that, that we were 2,000 years ago, you know, as Indigenous people, uh, 
uh, were in all cultures. And then, but we have the opportunity to create a globalized society with technology and with a higher standard of life to create a global tribal society, which would be fucking awesome. <laughs> we have that potential, but we have the potential, to, you know, to, to, you know, be like Thelma Louise and just go over the cliff in the, um, in the convertible too. So it can really, can really go either way, but we've got to, you know, we've got to fight the battle and we've got to uh, think about what we can do for the collective circumstance and how we can actually, you know, how we can actually heal and envisage uh, how we can really be individually and collectively. So, um, all right, I think that's, I think I'm done raving. Or, Or maybe we'll do some questions and answers. Did you maybe want to revisit some of the questions that were already asked? Did you? Um, was yeah. there anything that you said there was some good that stuff one. happening um, before when we were in the Yeah, I don't remember what it was though. Okay, can anyone remember what it's I've got, I've got a question here. Um, these like negative entities that you talk about, do you talk about them in the sense that they are separate from us? Separate from ourselves? Like yeah. A fragment of consciousness that is separate from our own? Yep. Like um, when we talk about sharks or stingrays or uh, pinworms or armadillos or ticks or spiders, do we talk about them as separate from us? Mm. Indeed. But do we not all share the same essence and consciousness? Ultimately... <laughs> entities are in fact part of us yeah ultimately it's a bit of a dichotomy. ultimately but we live within the world of duality mm. you know and you know you can get very advitarish and non-duality-ish and kind of miss the point of the 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 nature of uh, creation itself is inherently dualistic that we're experiencing so we've got to kind of really embrace that, you know. Like, say you're in warfare, right? You can, you know, you can say, yeah, my enemy who's coming for me with the chariots and army, he's not separate from me. It's not going to help your cause because they're reality for you. But is it, is it not a fact of battling them but rather integrating them? You can try and integrate them. Some of them I don't find to be very integratable. Um, it's like some of them seem to be like orcs out of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> They've been created like they manufacture each other. Some of them are more machine, like Darth Vader. They're more machine than animal life. They're kind of they've, – they've, they've created this – this gross imbalance of um, mutation, they've mutated. And so it's like people say, yeah, you know, you can use love to defeat them. It's like you can, you can do that. It's certainly possible to to defeat them in that place of non-duality and love, but also it can be, that can be a, a real stretch at times to be able to do that because they that my response to them often it's just absolute horror 
It's absolute horror. I mean, the movie um, Alien, H.R. Geiger, he said, you know, I don't, I don't draw from fantasy. I draw from reality, you know. Those kind of creatures who are just like very destructive and the pure destruction often. And it's like, yeah, there's, there's a place for that in creation for sure. But our, our, the, the relationship that humanity has to them is not, is, 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 is uh, yeah, we've come, we've come out of a positive relationship to any such creatures, you know. Marty? I've got a question. Yep. If, um, if some people here were to take away like a, a, like a first aid kit um, on some of your sharings today, like what would be in that first aid kit and um, how would they integrate that into their lives? I think it's important to be aware of how you might be being influenced by the entities around you, how you might be driving or, and then you suddenly feel drained, you know. You might have some thoughts that you're like, wait on, they're not my thoughts. You know, this is the common thing that these entities are are inserting thoughts that are quite dark and crazy, that they're not your own. They're not your thoughts, but they want you to think that you're a bad person, right? And that you have these thoughts. So I think that the important thing is to be able to differentiate and feel and see what is uh, happening. And the basic techniques that I share is uh, soplar and torping. And soplar is from the Amazon and they they blowing at the entity. So it's like this, like you can, you can blow like this, but it's not, it's not as effective to kind of get that air to kind of blow with the air. You need to go, it's like you, you know, you're at an ayahuasca ceremony, like the people of, they're trying to be really cool. They're going, you know, it is like, yeah, ayahuasca baby. <laughs> but it's actually a way to defend yourself from these uh, entities. And that works, you know, you can kill them with that. And torping just works. Like if you ever have any issues, um, if you ever any st- strife, um, you know, a cop pulls you over, you know, <laughs> wants to book you for speeding. <laughs> he just, <laughs> just walk away. No questions asked. You'll be gone. Guar- guaranteed. All your money back. Have it within hands reach. Yeah, 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 yeah. No worries. <laughs> and any other anything else for that uh for that first aid kit? Mm-hmm. Clapping's a good one to come across in a few different zones. What what's that? Clapping. Oh yeah, clap clapping breaks up energies. Yep. And clicking as well can do that too. What about whistling? Whistling. I mean you there's all kind I mean the human being is is has all these innate abilities to defend itself. Mm. I mean with intention and sound and song and uh uh, with, you know, generating, um, what are they called, those, um, you know, you can generate sacred symbols within your mind, you know, all kinds of mantras that various cultures have used, like a lot of the Sanskrit ones work very well. 
Uh, there's many different ways. Like incense is like a way that people have within all traditional cultures used to dispel entities. So, you know, once you become aware that there's a potential problem here and you see how they're influencing you and other people in your life, then you can become more aware and, you know, hopefully not too super superstitious about it and just just become aware and just feel into it. So you can feel, and this is the other thing, you can feel in our society where there are entities pushing these agendas. It very obvious. And, we can, and with the whole COVID thing, it all became so obvious. You can feel where there's those teeth. You can feel those teeth from a long way off. And the teeth are always wanting to slip some stupid inane label onto people and stick them over there and then put them in the re-education camp, you know. That's, that's, that's the kind of feeling that you have. And it's always, it's always a little bit stupid and a little bit numbskullery. And, it, and you do the calculations, you write it all down and you think about it like, no, nah, no, that makes sense, you know. <laughs> doesn't add up. doesn't add up, mate, you know. So, it, 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 and it's always this sense of force. There's always this sense of like, there's, there's always like this sense of this one-dimensional reality. It's like this. This is how it is, and you'll accept it. And if you don't, there's going to be trouble for you. It's this real sense of, um, um, you know, I think in this mass formation psychosis, we had a real sense of that feeling where there was this, you know, two-dimensional thinking going on. People seeing within this kind of like mass-generated fear the, the f- kind of three-dimensional, fourth-dimensional thinking went out the window for a lot of people. They weren't able to really, like, put it together and understand it, you know. Um, but I think there's another aspect of that where, you know, you really see the people who are the, the people who are really, um, I suppose more liable to be influenced by these entities and the people who who are independent thinkers and independent people who don't want to be enslaved into these agendas, you know. And I think it was, you know, maybe a little bit discouraging for a lot of us to see how few people actually have independent minds and how most people just want to be the lemmings going off the cliff, seemingly, you know. Um, um, yep. Uh, I suppose, like, um, like, like what you're saying, and when you dabbled with, like, just, but not being too superstitious, it's like, was something that, yeah, I'm I'm glad you mentioned, because I know the mind has the power to, to, like, create reaffirmations Mm. for itself, and... Mm and apparitions and like the mind's a very powerful thing and I think if you have a belief structure and you channel a lot of focus and emotional energy into it we can create reaffirmations for ourselves so like how would you propose one distinguishes these entities and like how can one also do it in a way where they're not leaping to some external hearsay story of what it is yeah well, this is the interesting thing. I think um, what we experience today 
is a little bit of extremism in the worldviews that some people can propose. For example, the QAnon uh, worldview is a very extreme wing nuttery that I don't really know many people who are proposing that. It's a very cartoonish worldview that is based in illusion and superstition and exaggeration. And I think it's, there's no nuance in that. It's like a one-dimensional viewpoint. On the other hand, there's a lot of people who are just like, they don't, it's like anything related to pedophilia, oh, you're one of those QAnon people, aren't you, right? And it's like the extent of pedophilia in Western society is fucking, it's scary, right? And I think, yeah. and I think that we can, and it's almost like this insertion of these, like these cartoonified, exaggerated, uh, like wing wing nut worldviews, is a kind of distraction away from the actual reality, which might not involve so many of these underground tunnels and you know ceremonial rites of blood drinking. But it might be much more prevalent and uh, within society than people think it is, and this comes back to the way that the entities interfere with the children. This is this is re- this represents the way that the entities are splintering and creating trauma in the children before they get to any chance of flowering or any empowerment. They're actually creating trauma in these children, so you can see that. On that level, understanding how the entities work, the pedophilia, the extent of pedophilia makes sense. And there's a very good Sam Harris podcast where he talks with a New York Times journalist about the extent of pedophilia in the United States. And it's absolutely horrifying, absolutely horrifying, like the percentage of people who were looking up child pornography online, for example, and just the sheer extent of it. It's absolutely bananas. And this ties back into what about the people who were doing this, right? Like how are they feeling about themselves, right? That's an incredible, you know, and, the, and, and, it, and if it is and we're assuming it's not them who are ultimately impelling it, they're actually in some sense fundamentally possessed, that their their self-esteem, their self-worth is right down in the, the hell realm of being utterly unforgivable, you know? So it's a huge uh, attack on the human psyche when you have these, um, you have this, uh, this, 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 this kind of attack going on. And I think, you know, I've been... I've been watching with, you know, one wandering eye every now and then on this Amber Heard and Johnny Depp case, you know. And when I first, heard, you know, heard about it, I was like, oh, poor Johnny Depp. He's obviously possessed and doing some crazy, crazy uh, violence towards Amber Heard, you know. And how it appears to be happening now is that it appears to be that um, Amber Heard is the one who is the possessed individual who is creating the, the, the drama, you know? And now I'm like, poor Amber Heard, you know? There's no sense of that, that, that I'm just like, she's obviously mentally ill. She's obviously, and mentally ill is like synonymous with possessed. 
She's a Mauritian candidate. So there's no sense of like that fucking bitch, right? But there, there is, there is a sense of like, you know, she is working with the realm of her own volition. But there's some force that appears to be working through her that is that is force forcing her. So she's saying it's not even occurring. So she's projecting it onto someone else because she can't own it herself. Because how can she? You know, so you know, human psyche is complex when we start to take this into account. You know, so um, yeah. All right. Just yeah. I don't want to hijack it. Um, yeah, I always tried to go. Okay, I feel that I am inclined to think with these things you're describing within. The aristocracy, or just the systemic trauma, and all, like these forms of degeneracy in our culture, like oh, I, I really do suspect there is these malevolent entities, and and benevolent. But I didn't want to. I wasn't sure how to navigate it. And then I suppose my confirmation is when I looked in to the eyes of psychosis, like someone that's had a psychotic episode or is in psychosis, and the the person and the just yeah, who they were and what I was looking at was not them. Mm. Just it, it and it's like well that's you know everyone would say well, logical or scientific or whatever I had a practical perception of reality or, or playing out some delusion and being inserted into their mind but it was more it was more conscious than that. And that was and it's happened a few times and that's where like it really sort of hit me too but yep. yeah what I'm experiencing does really seem like this malevolent entity that's right they're, the, the person they're looking to their eyes and they're not there anymore they've been taken over so yeah that's 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 the scary human predicament you know but I think it's like once you accept it I think it makes life easier you know rather than having your head in the sand and not wanting to see the malevolence and the ineptitude. There's quite a, there's a story, I know some of you might have heard about this story, about this, um, this girl with Down syndrome who was, um, her parents were these, you know, quite hard, hardcore Christians who didn't, didn't want her to get vaccinated and she ended up in hospital and quite quickly the doctors wanted to put her on the ventilation and the parents were, were looked into a little bit. Then they were like, they talked to the doctors, her chances are almost none, no chance of like being on the ventilator. And they basically had some altercations with the nurses and the doctors who, you know, like seemed quite hard. They really wanted to put her on the ventilator and they were they definitely didn't want to do that and so they had these sort of you know minor altercations about visiting hours and not being there all the time and um and it seems that some of the nurses and doctors got offended in this situation and you know they wrote on her file that she was unvaccinated that they were fundamentalist christians and um you know that she had down syndrome and then um, some days later, they gave her a combination of opiates and benzodiazepines, which, is, which killed her within hours. 
And it's like anyone who knows anything knows that benzos and diazepines is a death, is a, is a, a surefire death. And it's like in this situation, we can say either they're completely inept or they're completely malevolent or both, <laughs> you know. There's no way out of it, you know. Didn't, didn't we learn that the first waves of COVID numbers were bumped by Rendezivir, moving old folks out of hospitals in, in the UK? Well, uh, you, know, you know, putting them in the ICU, putting them on respirators and then saturating them with remdesivir. Real, real quick, <laughs> would just pure ineptitude, innocent ineptitude, would that really lead to all of this insanity? What do you mean by that? Like, like would a pure accident of uh, non-intention, non, non-malevolent intention, could that really result in such a chaotic modern day world that we have now? I don't know how it happened, but I think um, we, you know, we need to, well, maybe we need to blame the Ro- the Romans really created the Western <laughs> society. And they were the ones who destroyed the tribes and they destroyed Christianity. And like the Chinese, they call us Romans. They call mm. us Romans because we have their alphabet and we borrow their culture and we're basically, you know, we're of that lineage and now... You know, like Philip K. Dick said, the empire never ended and there's still, you know, that's where the Pope lives. It's where, you know, the, the empire, that the, the center of the kind of evil maintained itself within Rome, you know. I have a friend who's been going into the Vatican, making friends with some of the cardinals there. And he says that like 10% of them are sincere Christians and the other 90% are like cocaine, ketamine, rent boy, addicted scumbags, you know, um, who just who, who not even believe in God. They're just godless people, you know. That's the society we live in. The Pope's been doing slow disclosure himself yep. of the malevolent energies and stuff that they're associated with. Yeah. You can see him on YouTube. He's putting out his own personal... Um, you know, sharings. I think you put out another one this week. I haven't seen it yet. But even he's having an attack of self-conscious uh, okay. awareness of who, who he is and what he represents and his catharsis and his relationship with himself, Yeah, what he's representing and his role on the planet. And uh, very YouTubable. You know, it's, it's, it's the book of Revelations living itself out and he's dealing with it in uh, live. You know, it's um, interesting. Time. And, that, and there's all, and that ties into the pedophilia going, like operating through the church itself. You know. I was going to say, Julian, I was really enjoying like the language that you've been using to describe these entities, like um, like the dragon and the beast, because there's actually a um, there's a there's a book at the end of the New Testament called the Book of Revelation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yep. goes, it, it goes really deep into. Um, kind of prolonged Armageddon type event mm. where um, two beasts are depicted to uh, uh, come from both the sea and the earth um, under the like the authority and the power of the dragon mm. and like um, all throughout the Bible like uh, the devil himself is represented as like a serpent as this mm. giant dragon this mm. giant snake and I think a lot of the um, ideas that you've been touching on you could very easily just go hop, like open up New Testament and yep. flip to the end and just start reading through and that's right all of that mm. information and all of those ideas to how we're currently that's right living our lives. yeah like, it was quite interesting yeah 
Well, well, that's the thing. The, the, the book of Revelation was written by St. John of Patmos. And no one knows who St. John of Patmos is. And, like, probably he was taking some Syrian rue and some... Is he, is he also the fellow who supposedly writ um, Shakespeare's plays? No, no. This is, like, way back when, way before that. So no one knows anything about John of Patmos, but definitely sounds like he was a tripper because, you know... There was, I'm pretty sure there was, uh, especially the King James Version, there was... Uh, I'm pretty sure it was the guy who wrote Shakespeare's play that rewrote the King James Version because hmm. he was the hmm. most um, he was the most literate person at the time. I think John of Patmos was around you know two thousand years ago, but the uh, the Shakespearean the uh, um, someone might know the name of 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 um, it was uh, it was a uh, it was an alchemist at the time. Yeah, true. Yeah, at the time in the, what was it, the, like the 13th century or something? I've also heard it argued that Shakespeare was one of about six different pseudonyms that a writer called Colin someone or other wrote right, under. Right, and right, And he was probably just another member of the Vatican School of Abbreviators, you know, who, who wrote a lot of texts and works. And they still operate today. <laughs> Almost re-uttering like the mythologies of like... Sorry? Almost like as a re-uttering of the Greco-Hellenistic sort of like mythologies which would have been lingering in Europe, you know. Mm. Shakespeare often in his depiction of tragedy can be very much compared to the mythologies of previous civilizations. You know, almost in a way that...